Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29, a Peachtree Hoops podcast, where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Ryan Curley of Peachtree Hoops. And with the Hawks at 3-0, Ryan, I have to ask you, as, as they go to Brooklyn for two games in Brooklyn against the Nets, how do I break it to my wife that I have to work on our anniversary? Because that's what's coming tomorrow. <laughs> You're you're just lucky that it's uh, that you're covering it from home and you're not traveling to Brooklyn. <laughs> I mean, it's it's an every year thing. It's like you know the the NBA tries to avoid Christmas Eve. They definitely have tried to uh, avoid New Year's Eve. Like they they know people go out and aren't watching basketball. So you know if they have a game, they started at like six. But by and large, they just avoid it. And the only way to avoid New Year's Eve is to play games on December 30, which is why I'm in trouble tomorrow night yeah. for like the ninth year in a row. <laughs> You're just going to have to find a way to uh, fit in a nice, tiny little romantic meal in the breaks. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, honey, it's a timeout. Oh, yeah, that, that's going to go over there. <laughs> it's a fool. It's a fool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a review. Well, hell, we can have dinner during a review because the, you know, the reviews take like 20 minutes. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, there's there's only one minute left in the game. Well, that's actually twenty minutes. I'm sorry, honey. <laughs> uh, um, man, the Hawks, the Hawks got an ugly win last night, right? It's like yeah. you, you, they they were double digit favorites for the first time in forever. They scored 130 points or whatever they scored. They had a bunch of guys in double figures, but they. Let the Pistons and an ugly Pistons team at that without you know without Blake yeah. Griffin without Derrick Rose they let him hang around. Uh, I'm not really sure where we should start, but it was the first regular season game for Clint Capella in like nine months. Uh, what did you see there? Yeah, I thought um, I was a little disappointed in his effectiveness on the defensive side of the ball you know, just watching the game. And then I went back and watched like the extended highlights. And I, I was, I just started counting how many times after, after a couple of times I started counting, I was like, man, you know, he's just letting easy baskets in the paint, you know, right over his head, right around him. They're just like, it's nothing on him. You know, Plumlee scored on him a couple of times. You know, I want to say it was like nine or 10 times where he just let an easy bucket go in that he barely contested. He just kind of had his hands up in the air, you know, no vertical movement from him. Um, you know, I think he's going to get eased in just because of his injury history over the last year. But uh, I was I was kind of looking for more out of him on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, you, you can kind of go with the, well, he hasn't played a game in 12, almost 12 months. I think his last game was like in January. Yeah. So, okay, it was his first regular season game in 11, almost 12 months. Um you know, there's a natural rust factor there. I'm sure he has to still kind of build up his conditioning. You could, when the camera panned in on him in some of his longer stints, at the end of those stints, when you'd see him, it'd be like, okay, yeah, he, he looks a little bit tired. Um, but, I mean, he played the four preseason games, and, you know, if, if it was just this game and what he had back in January, he'd be like, okay, yeah, there's, there's some rust there. You know, let's see what it looks like in three weeks, four weeks, and that's still kind of true, but it's a little bit concerning, you know, given that he played those four preseason games. It's like, okay, you know, this this might take a while. 
Um, and it's not just necessarily a rust factor. I think there's also some adjustment factor that's going to have to take place with him and John Collins. Yeah, John, uh, last night, John looked more comfortable as a center. When he was out there with Capella, it was kind of clunky. You know, and they do a lot of the same things on offense, just as yeah. far as, as rim running and being a lob partner with Trey Young. And, you know, Capella didn't really have that kind of competition in Houston. He was the main guy down low, and the Hawks, the Hawks lineup is built a little bit differently. And we imagine, or the assumption has been that Collins and Capella are going to play a lot together on the floor. You know, they started together last night, and if that's the case, it's just gonna, it's just gonna be a time, a timing thing where they're gonna have to figure out how to coexist. Because, you know, Collins can shoot, but he's not gonna stand out on the perimeter all game long. You know, he's more effective flying to the basket, but that's that's the majority of where Capella's production comes offensively. So it's just going to be a matter of how they can find a happy medium. And part of that's going to be on Collins, you know, being more effective as a, as a shooter, a mid-range shooter and a, maybe a corner three shooter. And then part of that's going to be on Capella, just getting out of Collins's way in certain possessions and being more aggressive on certain possessions. Yeah. Um, it is his first game in nine months, but at the same time, it's like, well, a week ago he just finished four preseason games, and I don't yeah. know that in any of those four preseason games we saw it either. So, and again, who knows? You know, maybe that was some combination of health. Uh, maybe his health, you know, was trending in the wrong direction before the absence, and, and that played some role. But I just, the one thing that just kind of stuck in my craw a little bit is he just didn't. I think he kind of knows, like he doesn't seem particularly happy going into the game or after the game. Like we've, we've spoken to him a few times through Zoom or whatever in the past few months. And he's, he's kind of a, uh, I don't know, I was going to say he's kind of a bubbly guy. That's probably too strong of a word, but he's really personable and enthusiastic. And he, he just, you know, in talking to him last night, uh, you know, he, he doesn't seem particularly pleased yet. I think he's a little bit frustrated, um, you know, that it's going to take maybe a little bit more time than he or the team originally anticipated. It's going to be a, it's going to be a transition process for sure. Uh, Let's switch it to Rondo since he had a debut as well. Um, What did you see from him in in leading the second unit without Trey? It was a lot better than last year. I mean, the Hawks (laughs) didn't have that last year. And and the year before. And yeah. And, you know, when Trey was off the floor the last couple of years, the offense just looked abysmal. But, and I know it was one game. I mean, yes, we can't take too much from it. We have to let it play out for a few weeks before we can have a true analysis. But in one game, Rondo looked like a great um, backup point guard. You know, he was, he had more assists than Trey. He had eight. I think Trey had six. Um, he was no look passes. He was getting to the rim. He's not going to hit uh, 100% of his threes every game. I think he was two for two. That's not going to happen every game. But um, he's a veteran point guard. He's a, he's a champion with the Lakers and the Celtics. He great, brings great experience. If he could just, you know, give most of himself in the regular season, I know everyone talks about how he doesn't really try in the regular season. If he could just try a little bit, that's going to be helpful and, it, and teach Trey on both ends of the floor what he knows. I mean, they're both very talented passers, but you know, the bench unit looked really good last night. And I think a lot of that had to do with Rondo being a playmaker. 
Yeah, and then that's the easiest thing to worry about. Like the easiest thing to not worry about is that you know his playmaking is going to be fine. Um, honestly, one of the things I was a little bit encouraged about is that when he was out there with Bogdanovich, while it was Rondo sort of making the trigger decisions about okay, where does this final pass go? You know, right before our shot attempt comes, there was some shared playmaking burden between him and Bogdanovich. Um, you know, they were, they were having Bogdanovich bring the ball up a lot. Um, I know uh, right before one of the lob passes, uh, he kind of spiked the ball into the hardwood in the backcourt, you know, making it a bounce like 12 feet in the air to get it to Bogdanovich. And you know that, you know, that's like an old, uh, old 2010 Celtics thing where he's doing something like that with Kevin Garnett. He just kind of smashed it into the wood and, you know, Bogdanovich looks up and lets the ball kind of fall back down to him. Um. But, I, you know, he, I don't honestly worry about his shooting that much. Uh, he's he's not going to be the world's greatest shooter. But at the same time, you know, for the past five, six years, he's developed into a shooter who can take what the defense is more than willing and eager to give him. And it, it almost felt like, I don't, maybe this is just uh, something that comes from the fact that he hasn't been around much to practice, but it's it kind of felt like the Hawks were putting him in the same physical spot on the court every time. He was just kind of, you know, either on the right hash mark or just inside of it. He was kind of working from the right elbow. And, you know, if you kind of limit the variety of shots, you know, if you can kind of just get him to one spot or two spots where he's very comfortable, I think that's going to make him an even more effective shooter. And it seemed like he was kind of taking all of his shots from the same place. Um, and I, so I, you know, I, I definitely don't worry about his passing. I don't worry about his shooting. You know, the one thing I worry about a little bit is his defense. But honestly, at times with this team, it's, it's going to be like that. You know, you put Collins at center or you put Rondo at point guard and, It's you've got Trey a point guard. I mean, it's there are going to be times where the Hawks are just going to be like, you know what? Hey, the, the defense isn't going to be great. Let's have the defense be passable, and let's just score the heck out of the ball and, and see what we can do that way. And that I, I don't think that they expect that. to be a, a juggernaut defensive team. I think they just want to get by and then just blow people out offensively. Last night was an example of that where they were just barely passable defensively, but they outscored their opponent. <laughs> or or <I> worse. Because <laughs> that wasn't a great offensive it team wasn't. out there. It, it wasn't. And they were missing their two best players. Exactly. You could argue yeah, if Rose didn't is have the Blake second Griffin, best player. They didn't have Derrick Rose. Uh, there was a whole lot of Jeremy Grant on offense. Yeah. And, you know, he made some shots for sure. Uh, he scored a lot of points. But... Yeah, that, that, that was no offensive juggernaut out there on the floor for the Pistons last night. No. And it's it's on the Hawks defensively. It's not that the Pistons were a great offensive team last night. I mean, in a couple of different ways. You know, one I already mentioned with just them getting inside like it was nothing. And then if you look at a lot of the threes they made, they're wide open. There's There's no guys getting their hands in. And that's on the young guys, Hunter and Reddish is the two guys I saw it happen with most where they're just not getting up in, in their grills on the perimeter and they're just making wide open shots. And that kept yeah. them in the game. Every time the Hawks got a 10, 12 point lead, the Pistons came right back and all of a sudden it was four point lead again. So, and that happened probably six or seven times last night. 
where they just came right back. And it's because of the open shooters. Yeah, I think there is that, – that's a good point. Yeah, it was kind of hard to put this – how do I want to say this? You know, the, in a lot of the Hawks schemes, it feels like they're trying to take away the dribble drive up top. And so they're going to put some burden on those two young guys to make some more difficult closeouts in the corners. And they seem hesitant to like fully just kind of sell out and commit. You know, if they, it's almost like they don't want to be pump faked. Um, they, they, they. It, they're kind of closing out uh, very cautiously in case somebody decides that they want to drive or attack the closeout. Um, and so as a result, you know, the Pistons were getting up some shots. Uh, how much, I, I wonder a little bit how much of that is game plan just because it was a Detroit Pistons team that didn't necessarily have a ton of shooters out there except for Ellington. But, yeah, some of those closeouts were very timid from the young guys. And, and, you know, the nice thing about Reddish and Hunter is that they're big enough that in a lot of times they can get a halfway decent closeout just by kind of being there, by putting a hand over somebody's eyes and trying to shield their face. Uh, you see Hunter, I think he in particular tries to do that a lot. Um, but, yeah, I didn't think the, the closeouts last night were particularly effective, uh, whether by design or not. Yeah. And, you know, I think Hunter has been promising this year. He's yeah. definitely more aggressive offensively. And I think that's the best thing I've saw out of him. His defense is going to come. That's why they drafted him to be a, to just be a star stopper on defense. And so his aggressiveness offensively is what I've liked the most out of him this year, whether he's making his shots or not, he's going to start making shots. And, you know, he's attacking the rim. He's getting open. He's active off ball. And that's all much improved from last year. Yeah, he just doesn't take that much off the table. Like, he can kind of shoot. His drives um, are never going to, or at least right now, they're, they're not going to be super elegant. But um, he's a really good offensive player. Just overall, he takes so little off the table. Just to backtrack to the defense a little bit, because I think, again, this kind of goes to Reddish and Hunter. Uh, when when Pierce was talking about the Hawks last night, he's you know uh, in in meeting out a couple of criticisms. You know, one he said that he thought that there was a little bit too much gambling at times, uh, and sometimes that worked. I and mean, certainly Reddish had a lot of deflections last night trying to take away passing lanes. Um, but but Pierce did say that there was a little bit too much gambling going on. He said there was a little bit too much uh, helping going on too. Uh, you know, even early on. You know, the Pistons got the ball into Plumlee for a post-up. And it's like, well, wait, why are three guys collapsing here? It's Plumlee trying to post up. And honestly, I'm not saying that to, to diss Plumlee, but I think one of the things that he does best is pass. So you give him, you know, you give him Capella behind him and a couple of bodies close in and you're giving him exactly what he wants, which is an opportunity to pass it to somebody who's open um, rather than to making him score it himself. You know, Capella... I, you know, when you're watching Capella play defensively, I think the first thing you're looking for is how does he fare as a help defender? Uh, I worry a whole lot less in a situation like that where, you know, someone like Plumlee's trying to post him up. I think Capella will be fine. Honestly, one of the things that's been most troubling about Capella, whether uh, and this is more in the preseason than last night, is that when he himself tries to post up, 
you know, he's getting a shot blocked, and it's like, I don't remember that ever happening in Houston. Yeah, he off he just wasn't effective last night on both ends yeah, of the floor. For sure. And uh, offensively, he just didn't seem super involved when he was in. You know, he didn't get the ball that much. I mean, yeah, he had a couple. He had like one drive where he took it from the from the elbow and just took like two steps down. Yeah, it was like a fake dribble like handoff. That. I think it's like, oh, yeah. that, that that's nice. I like that. And then early on, it was kind of in transition. It was like a like a four on three or something like that. And Trey mm-hmm. hit him while he was rim running, and that that's where he needs to be more effective. But I saw him just standing around a lot. You know what? Why the rest of the guys were just kind of just through ball movement. He was he was stationary a lot of the time, and I think. I don't know if that's rust. I don't know if that's game. I hope that's not. Game it might plan. even be something like you know game de- you know game plan design. I mean, the Hawks haven't had a player like him in a long time. You have to go back to Dwight Howard. Like they've they've had guys like Collins who you know can either shoot or roll to the rim, and so they're never really in the way. And you know, for Capella, you know his offense is going to be a lot of post ups and a lot of. Uh, you know, a lot of times where he's just kind of lurking on the baseline, waiting for Trey to drive and then step into the paint at the right moment so that he's making himself a big target for a pass. Um, but it's not going to be super dynamic when he's in there. He's There's no point in him moving around too much because he can't really do that much more than 15 feet from the basket. Um, but at the same time, it's just a little bit concerning in that while he looks really good on, let's say, you know, going to roll to the basket or going to catch, you know, an alley oop or even that dribble handoff play, you know, he's he faked the defense out of the way and he's taking two or three dribbles on his way to the rim. It's like his athleticism looks good when he gets ahead of steam, mm-hmm. but in quick isolation where it's a reaction situation, it doesn't look as great. And I don't know if that's due to his injury history the last year. Maybe he's just not one hundred percent yet. For yeah, I mean, or, there's, there's certainly a rust I factor. Mean, but you're right. In post ups, he wasn't very effective. And I, I want to say there was only one time, one or two times, where he was fouled in that situation mm-hmm. and got to the line. And he he looked very stiff. He didn't look fluid in trying to turn around and get a get a turnaround jump shot or a little floater or something like that. He didn't look very fluid. He didn't look very powerful last night. That was something I was concerned about. I, it looked like he looks really he, good, like rebounding. Like I, yeah, I, I really like how he kind of can get somebody on his hip and just kind of not collapse the space. I think he does that better than most of the Hawks that I can think of in recent memory. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying. But it, I, I would push back a little bit in rebounding situations. He looks pretty stout on those. I think. I was talking about on offense. He didn't look sure. very powerful to me. Yeah. The defense, okay. Yeah. His re- his rebounding is great. I mean, nine nine rebounds in the amount of minutes he played is pretty good. Yeah. And that's what the Hawks – big reason why the Hawks went out and traded for him is mm-hmm. the rebounding problems, which the Hawks wore out rebounded last night. I want to say I had it written down 48 to 45 against yeah. a bad Pistons team that you – It's a bad to- Pistons team, but it feels like it should be a good rebounding team, if that makes any sense. Yeah, Plum- Plumlee's a good rebounder. Grant's a pretty I think good rebounder. They play a lot of bigs. Yeah. Like, I I don't worry too much about losing the rebounding battle just because that felt like that's the one thing Detroit had to do well to win with the players they were playing. 
I would say yeah, you just don't want to get crushed by them. The matchup last night on paper, the Hawks should have dominated. Yes. But if you look back and to they last did, year, and they gave it back. <laughs> last year's Hawks team would maybe lose that game. Oh, for sure. In it a heartbeat. would be very pretty. And a that's a positive to take away. And the Hawks, the Hawks, three opponents, they're 3-0, and right? They're tied for first in the East right now. But yeah, their first three opponents are not very good. They're not. There's one combined they're, they're win. One combined win, and the combined win was the Grizzlies last night against the Nets without Dinwiddie, without Kevin Durant, and yeah. without Kyrie Irving. So that, that's the one yeah. win that their opponents have. Chicago's 0-3. Uh, Detroit's 0-3. And Memphis is one and two. And part of that, is, of course, is that the Hawks won three of those games. But yeah, those yeah. three teams are a combined one and eight with one piddling little win. Yeah, but you can, you, you know, you argue that last year's Hawks team would be one and two in this position. I For think sure. I think they would have probably beaten the Bulls, but dropped the last two just based off of what I watched. And that's a positive takeaway. But they're about to play the Nets twice. We don't know if Katie and Kyrie are going to play both games. Obviously, we saw them sit last night, but that was a back-to-back. I kind of expect them to play both games, barring any injury, since there's a day off in between. Mm-hmm. And this is, just looking ahead at that matchup, defensively, they have no one that can stop either of those players. I mean, they're going to match up Hunter a lot on KD. That's going to be effective to a point. He's going to get those assignments. He's going to get That's the, the reason for bringing him in. But KD's length, he's just going to get too many shots over his head. Sure. And this is one of those games where you wish Chris Dunn was healthy. Yeah. So he could come in and stop Kyrie on a few possessions. And I think I think Kyrie more than KD could potentially have a field day against the Hawks. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're about to find out. Uh, this is like truth serum for this Hawks team. It's like, okay, you know, you, you – you you might have lied to us for three games, kind yeah, of right. skated by, but yeah, we're 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 gonna uh, we're gonna hypnotize you. We're gonna ask you a few questions, and we're gonna get the truth out of you. <laughs> I I, I kind of see them splitting it, splitting that that two games, and that series. would be a perfectly reasonable and outcome I think that, on the road. Yeah, I think that'd be a great outcome because yeah, yeah, they're both in Brooklyn. Not that home court advantage matters that much right now. There's not really much to it, but there. I mean. Yeah, it's different. They had to travel and get there and everything. But I kind of see them splitting it. It would not be good if they lost both of them. If they lost both of them, I think there would be some reason, depending on how they lost, there would be some reason for concern. But they're going to be high-scoring games. Now their team is really that great defensively. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, even if they lose both, if they're competitive and if if Trey plays well and just kind of keeps – keeps this mojo going because he just he he just looks like a maestro right now like he is just pulling every string uh you know he he goes to the foul line at will um it's going to be interesting you know him him against Kyrie I don't know how they'll match up I mean he's probably not going to be guarding him necessarily but just you know watching the back and forth between him and Kyrie is going to be very interesting because on offense right now it's like he's got you know, a remote control with a push button, and it just says free throw line. And if the Hawks <laughs> need to go to go to the free throw line, he just pushes the free throw button, and he goes there because he he's just that far in control. He knows exactly where his defender is, and you know they just 
run a pick and roll. He looks and sees where the defender is, and then he goes, okay, I'm going to go this way, and you're going to follow me, and it happens, and he goes to the free throw line, and then he hits his free throws at a 90% clip. I mean, it's just, it, it's machine-like at this point, and I think he has 42 made free throws, and that's tops in the league, and Luka is second, and Luka has 25. Like, he's he's lapping the field in terms of made free throws. He is 42 from 46 at the line in three yeah. games. Yeah. That's, that's, that's like crazy. James Harden type yeah. numbers from it's, it's last very, year. Very, very James Harden. Yeah. Um, last night, I think the last six free throws came when the Pistons were fouling at the end of the game. So that kind of skewed his number a little bit last, last night. But at, at the same time, you know, nine free throws, that's a, that's a good amount of free throws before that, before that started happening. If, he, if he's hitting them like that, at that clip, that is such a weapon. And the reason that people hate on James Harden, they're going to start hating on Trey for doing that eventually. But I think he'll, if you're a Hawks it, fan. It's going to happen a little bit less just because he's smaller. Teams yeah. do try to get physical with him. Like Memphis, they tried to go three-quarter court. It's like, what are you doing? Don't do that. He's just going to make you look stupid. And he did. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, you're going to foul him if, if you try to put too much pressure on him. If you try to you know, uh, blitz pick and rolls, you know, he's going to find a way to get contact in those. There's just a lot of instances where teams try to get over aggressive and it's like, you know, it's like a, it's just like a a yin and yang thing. It's like, you just, whatever you've got, whatever you think you're being clever about in terms of being physical with Trey, you know, he's just going to pull the carpet out from under you and you're going to slip and fall and look silly. He, He knows what to do in every situation. Uh, you know, there's there's nothing that phases him at this point. Um, he might have a bad night. There's, you know, he he had just a ballistic shooting night against Chicago, and then you know his shooting's been fine the other two games. And there's there's a, you know, there's going to be days like in the preseason where his shot doesn't look great. But in terms of just game flow and control, uh, you know, he he's a puppet master at this point, and. He's going to get to the free throw line and he's going to control the flow of the game. And there's not really one single tactic that opponents can throw at him to make him uncomfortable. He just doesn't get uncomfortable. Um, and I think what did you his, think? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to make this one comment. I think that his small frame is actually helping him get to the line more. Yeah. Just and I think why people won't identify it as a grift as much as yeah. they do with Harden. Yeah. Because Harden's a thick dude. You know, yeah. he's a strong, he's one of the stronger guards in the league. Yeah, just but, go be uh, a bully, you know, but he doesn't need to. Even when he's not not on ball and getting fouled, I was noticing just like, just an off ball. He, he was getting knocked down all the time just because he's smaller and he's not as strong. And that's that's going to get him to the line more than maybe a, maybe a player that's bigger than him. Yeah, and I don't think he's going to get penalized as much as Harden just because people see Harden doing it 28 feet from the basket. And, and Trey does some of that. But he does a lot more of it in the Chris Paul fashion, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, Pierce brought it up last night. You know, if, if you try to chase him over a pick and roll, he's going to snake it back towards the middle. He's going to get the defender on his ass, and then he's going to stop, and there's going to be contact. I mean, he – it was a little bit mean what he did to Killian Hayes last night. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like you, it's your third NBA game. Uh, Trey has every trick in the book to get you in the wrong spot, and he was using some of them. Yeah. Uh, no, what did, what did, go ahead. No, no, I was waiting on you. All right. Uh, what did you make of, of Solomon Hill, and then in particular uh, with like 
I don't know, 45, 30 seconds left. Lloyd Pierce went to him in a close game. I mean, that wasn't that close, but the, yeah. they, you know, it was relatively close given how the game had, had transpired over the first 47 minutes. He's like, okay, Solomon Hill, you're in there. Why didn't the Heat keep him? That's kind of what I was thinking. <laughs> he was very effective off the bench, hitting his. Yeah. You know, he, they could have signed him on a, a near minimum deal. I yeah, was kind of. A minimum deal. I mean, that's. I mean, he's. He's great off the bench so far in three games. Um, defensively, that is very helpful for the Hawks. He just has a knack for getting to the ball and contesting shots and and getting deflections in the passing lanes. That's something I've liked out of him the most. Um, and then if he's if he's shooting like that, he he shot pretty well last night too. He made he a shot couple very threes. well last night, and it's you know he's not always going to shoot that well, but he's he's a real deal shooter. I don't know why Lloyd Pierce chose to go to him at the end of the game. <laughs> I can't really answer that, but um, he played well last night. I think the entire bench played pretty well last night. That's the thing that I was most pleased with, and that's happened the last couple of games. You know, Herter, Herter had a really great shooting game against Memphis, and then now we have, th- I think, three players double dig- in double digits off the bench, Hill, Bogdanovich, and Rondo. If the bench is playing that well and the starters are just – kind of playing up to what they should be, then this Hawks team is going to win a lot of games. And Solomon Hill is going to be – I didn't think he was going to get as many minutes as he has been, but I like what he's doing with his minutes. Yeah, it's almost unfair to Kevin Herter. Like, I, yeah. I've mentioned this before, so I'm probably repeating myself, but I thought he had a very good preseason, even though he shot like crap. Um, but he's been really good as a playmaker. He just – you know, he's made a lot of good decisions. And – and on a night like last night, it's almost unfair to someone like Herder because, you know, he could have a great game and it's going to be something like eight points and three assists and, you know, 18 minutes. It's He's getting pinched in the rotation a little bit for someone who has played as well as he has played. And I know the Hawks are being very cognizant of depth this season with COVID and everything else, you know, you, you you might have a rotation that you visualize as, as 13 players, or at least you have 13 players who you think can function well in a rotation, and you're hoping to have 10 of them every night. But it, it's kind of hard on someone like Herter right now uh, where he you know he ends up being something like the 10th guy because I think he's been really, really good uh, all season long. But to, to go back to Hill for a minute, and I, I you know, when we have a media availability today, I might ask Pierce this. I think he's a little bit like the Vince Carter for this year. Um, it's kind of a split between him and Rondo. You know, I think the players look to Rondo. And he's kind of got more of the name like Vince Carter has. He's kind of the NBA legend the way that Vince Carter is. He'll probably both be in the Hall of Fame at some point. But Solomon Hill's a little bit more of the vocal guy and defensive organizer the way that that Vince was. You know, there there were times in the last couple of seasons where kind of maybe against all odds or at least, you know, flying in the face of convention a little bit, Pierce would turn to Vince Carter for defense in the last five minutes of a game and just say, okay, hey, Vince, get us organized. I think he feels kind of the same way about Solomon Hill, but I have to ask him that. Probably brought it up too soon. I should probably just wait and, and mention it in the next podcast, but what the hell, let's throw it out there now. Yeah, and 
I think one of the biggest positives you can take from that is that Solomon Hill and Rondo are more effective at this point in their career than For sure. Vince yeah, Carter was the last two years. Yeah. And so Carter if they're going to be that was really good the first year and then last year, you just yeah. didn't have the legs. If they're going to take on kind of like a meshed Vince Carter role, I think that that's a very good thing for the Hawks that they're going to, they're going to one put up points and be a positive on the defensive end. But I think Solomon Hill is going to earn more and more minutes in this rotation. And he's going to be in those defensive lineups, you know, to maybe give Hunter a rest when Hunter's guarding a player like KD Solomon Hill can come in and get you a good couple minutes. I think it's little things like that where he's going to be most effective this year. Yeah. It's, it's the, the rotation is going to be a lot, uh, a lot deeper if they have all their bodies healthy. And that's, you know, like I said before, that can be a blessing and a curse, but it's Hill Hill's kind of a luxury. Like, you know, we overuse the term three and D um, because what he was three, three, <laughs> three point shooting is so important, but like there's different kinds of three and D like Cam Reddish at some point, um, you know, when he's not handling the ball as much can be, you know, can give you three and D, but it's a different version of D. Like there aren't that many guys in the NBA that can give you three point shooting and rebounding presence and shot blocking. Like, I mean, I know that there are probably some centers who do that, but Hill does that more like a wing. But at the same time, you know, if somebody's driving to the basket and he's in that area or there's a last minute switch or something, he he's actually protecting the rim pretty well. Yeah. And, and he's is. a good rebounder too. So like, that's that's kind of a rare mix um you know there there aren't that many guys that give you that and you know there's other things that you might want in a player but but when you can get those three things from somebody that's that's really really good and it's you know on a minimum contract too it's like wow (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean hey the hawks aren't complaining for that schlank isn't complaining for that but you know i think you mentioned the depth. We haven't even seen the depth yet because none of yeah. the, not all the players have played at the same time. And right. I don't know if we'll ever get to that point where they're all, I hope, I hope we do just so we can see it. And sure. we imagine the Hawks are going to be best when they're at full strength, but you know, Dunn's out indefinitely, you know, Gallo's missed a couple games now. Um, Capella. I just feel like I'm very curious as to when they're at full strength what the rotation is going to look like. Cause none of us really know what the rotation is going to look right. like when everyone's out there. Yeah. And L- Lloyd's going to have to experiment with a lot of different lineups. I just hope that that can happen um, at least a month or so before the playoffs, get everyone healthy because I think the Hawks, they're looking to be probably a back end playoff team just from what I've seen. And that was the preseason prediction for most anyway, was somewhere between six and eight seed. I, I think I had them at seven. Um, it's realistic they're going to get there. And I, I think that's just very important is that depth comes back because these, these rotations might not even matter later on in the season. The yeah. ones that we're seeing right now off the bench, it's going to yeah, be completely be different a few months from now. And, and with Okongwu coming back, it, that's going to cut into to Bruno's minutes. And, you know, Herter is going to take – I mean, unless Herter can just ball out, he's going to take more and more of a step back when, when Dunn comes in because that's going to probably carve into a couple of his minutes as well. Yeah. When they want a defensive lineup we, out there. 
and Tony Snell, like he's a legitimate yeah. NBA wing. It's 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 kind of bonkers. I mean, I I think the one thing you can say is that I don't think anybody would expect Clint Capella or Danilo Gallinari to be eighty-two game a season guys or seventy-two no. games a season guys. Like those are guys that you know they're going to play maybe three quarters of the game. So you kind of know that okay, you're going to need Bruno some nights. You're uh, you know, if he gets healthy, you know, you're going to want a Kongwu to come off the bench and give you 13 minutes uh, some nights. So you kind of you kind of have it fixed for the center position right? or, you know, the power for you. You, you. With your bigs, you can kind of visualize a way to kind of make it work. But with the wings, like with Dunn and with Snell um, and all the other guys that are playing well, Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, it's like there's nobody who you're thinking, man, I wish I could take him out of the rotation. No, they're 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 doing a respectable job. They're young guys whose careers are growing, and it's you know Solomon Hill's a, a vet who's playing well. It's it's hard to figure out how to make it all fit if everybody's healthy and and ready to go. But it's it's the best kind of problem that you can have. It is a good problem, and that's going to be on Pierce's shoulder if, if he can manage it manage it well. Because if he can't manage it well, then the Hawks are going to lose games that they shouldn't. Yeah, I, I've, I've, I mean, I, I've, I've liked what I've seen. I'm sure that, uh, you know, last night he used the opportunity to uh, get everybody's ears, despite the win. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's the kind of win where you can kind of get everybody's attention and say, "Hey, no, yeah, that's that's not good enough," and that's. It's kind of weird for the Hawks. Like the last couple of seasons, there aren't too many wins that they have to feel bad about. And exactly. now they can kind of do that. They're talented enough that they can have ugly wins and bad wins. And that kind of felt like what, what they got last night. Is there anything else you want to hit upon before we uh, close this thing out? No, just circle back to we need to see them play better opponents mm-hmm. before we can make a deeper analysis. And that's going to come over the next few days. I think it's going to be a very exciting offensive matchup. We could get one of those 140-140 games. I, I think we might see that one of these one right. of these times. Neither yeah. team is really that great defensively, and neither team really has an answer for the stars on each side. They don't yeah. really have someone that's going to lock up Trey. No. Nope. You know, they don't have – their perimeter defense is not great. It's not very good between Dinwiddie, Levert, and they're and they're like the Hawks in a lot of ways. They've got a yeah. lot of new pieces, and they are not completely gelled yet. Yeah. They're playing well, it's, but you know, I'm not. It's going to sure take that... some time, but the Hawks are very promising from what I've seen. Very promising, yeah. but uh, like, and that's going to happen. Last night, wins like last night against the Pistons, where it wasn't pretty, but they got it done. That's mm-hmm. something that they couldn't do last year. No. But if you win those games, your record is going to be very thankful for it in the end, and most likely make it to the playoffs. And I think that that's the biggest positive you could take away from last night. Yep. I agree. All right. Uh, I got to figure out what to do on my anniversary. (laughs) (laughs) Got to go make some plans, some phone calls. (laughs) Yeah, right. The good thing, actually, the good thing is this, though. Like, my wife, uh, we're we're basically nocturnal at this point because she's, you know, she's a physician and she's working shifts that are like half overnight so you know when the when the game ends at 10 o'clock or whatever that's going to be like the middle of our day so date date night could just be (laughs) after the game maybe that's your that's your morning you get a morning game yeah i'm like slugging coffee to do a podcast at 10 in the morning (laughs) 
So, I'm trying to I'm trying to fix my sleep schedule because I'm in college, so it's all over the place every night. All right, but I, I'm trying to shift it a little bit more. Yeah, so. very good. All right, thanks, Ryan. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this one. All right, thank you, Kevin. I hope uh, I hope I can get on here again soon. Awesome. Thanks, man.